la 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 hi y'all welcome it is monday night generation i have to always think about it for a second it's monday night generational change we messed up today because i am actually wearing the clothes that i wore on wednesday and jen is wearing the clothes she wore on wednesday i don't recall that no he's I felt. I think you're wrong. I think I'm right. Whatever. I don't care. My apologies for being a few minutes I, late. As everybody always. knows, I have a. Uh, I am not the best time manager, and I freely admit that. Oh I had a. Uh, I had a client uh, that actually is very interested in one of the homes that. Uh, okay, I we're not gonna. We're not gonna so. spend our time talking about this, though. Well, we won't. No. I just want to say that I feel like it was a promising yeah, you know, that's great. two hours worth of Thank time. Thank you. Okay. But um, something more important is uh, going on right now. Uh, people in Florida. People in Florida really need to know about the importance of who is actually running the state party. You see, for those of you who may or may not know, we are getting a slight reprieve from the clutches of former state chair Manny Diaz. Now, for those of you who may or may not know, Manny Diaz was the state party chair for, I guess, how long was he in, in charge? About two and a half two years? Well, when like did that? Michael Bloomberg buy our state? When did Michael Bloomberg? Okay, so in 2018, when Michael Bloomberg came in and bought our state party, he, hmm. he and Debbie installed Manny Diaz at the top of the party. And Does everybody know who Debbie is? Yeah, everyone who watches us knows who Debbie is. But it doesn't matter. We digress. The point is is that this was never going to be like, you know, a real winning plan. Like there was never going to be no. a winner. And let me say this first. Everyone knows I don't affiliate with the party other than being registered as a Democrat. I won't send them any money. I cannot join clubs until they stop taking corporate money. And let me say They'll that- They'll be waiting until you're dead. And that's fine. I don't care. As long as they're on the corporate take, I'm not affiliating. However, our, our, our guest- uh, Carolina Ampudia is one of the people running for the state chair. And I will say that of the people that are in this race, she's the only one that would have any sort of chance of getting the party off the corporate teat. So she's the only person that if she were to come in, I could see having any sort of interaction with this party at some point in the future. Whereas everyone else, it's same old, same old. That's how I feel about it. She's a former member of the SCIU and uh, obviously a labor person through and through and former head of the Florida Progressive Caucus and is now running to be the Florida State Party Chair. Carolina Ampudia. I don't want to mess that up. I don't know what I do. I'm a gringa. She knows. Soy gringa, lo siento. Come on. Welcome to generational change. <laughs> Thank you, guys. So it's Carolina Ampudia. I said it right. I said it right. You did. I know. But I am, I always say that's my, that's my four words. Soy gringa, lo siento. And, and it's really, it really does wonders because. Just, now that Duolingo is kicking in hard. I do my best. I get along. Okay. Yes. I do. Okay. You do. Okay. I'm not great, but I do. Okay. You're and, better than me. I well, think. but then again, you've lived here, you know, you're a Floridian. I'm not. So. so Carolina, talk about what's going on because like, and, and we of course all saw today that now Nikki Fried officially jumped in this thing. And, um, it seems to be, which could actually help. Carolina. Well, it could, that it could, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think it helps anybody, but the point is, is that it's just more of the same, but it's interesting how people who lose races, somehow we people think that people who lose races should be in charge of winning races. Like you're taking losers there. These are people that are losers. Like the Republicans would never have this. So talk about, talk about why you're in this race and why you're different than the other people that are running for chair. So again, thank you for having me. And 
the the Florida Democratic Party is in complete disaster right now. There's we we suffered electoral losses that were on historic levels, and we also have a state party that has lost its connection with the people, and there's a lot of registered Democrats that didn't feel the need or or the really the the a reason why to show up and vote. Yeah. And this is this is just an example of the the kind of not providing any type of solution, of not having the, the connection with the community, like I was saying. And it's also the lack of a bench that keeps recycling, like you were saying, losers and put them in different positions, not just uh, for electoral positions, but also in positions for the administration of the party. And yeah, I, oh, sorry, go, go, go. And when you are running for, for an election uh, on public office, it does not have exactly the same requirements as if you were ro- running to to administer. In, in an administration position in the party, you don't have to have the same qualifications. And the fact that people don't realize this is, is pretty shocking, I think, to me. The other thing is that that we don't have a, a complete realization of the kind of work that the, that the party needs in terms of rebuilding this party and rebuilding the connection with the community. So. As you were saying, I am a physician that that turned into an organizer by chance, basically, because I was teaching pre-medical sciences in Broward College when I met you. Yeah. And we were still in that process of the unionizing when, when we met a few years ago and not even sure that we were going to make it as a union, but we enlisted the help of SEIU. And w- Within those months, uh, actually, it's so so funny that we that we are remembering this because around the months where I met you, that's when we finally um, went to Perk and and submitted our cards and we won the formation of the union with ninety two percent of the vote, which was really yeah. inspiring, and it's something that doesn't <laughs> tend to happen in forming unions in a right to work state. So it was extremely empowering at that moment. And we, re- we were able to replicate that within 12 other colleges in the public sector in the, in the state. Yeah, no, you are definitely qualified organizer. Like that, it, to me, it's no doubt that you're not, you're a qualified organizer. And the, the issue, of course, with everybody in terms of the party people is are you a fundraiser? Now, I personally do not share their sentiment. And you and I have talked about this and I don't agree, but unfortunately of the people voting for you, since it's not the general public, unfortunately they care about that. So, you know, how, how are they looking at, because I think that's one of the things they do find appealing about Nikki Freed. Exactly. And, and of the other candidates, Uh, all of the other candidates are part of this money making strategy that keeps the party not only sinking because it's that that magical mentality that with money you're going to have voters, right. but with money you cannot even have voters to register. And then if you have them to register, that doesn't mean that they're going to show up and vote. And 
what what we are losing there is the connection that that you have with how do you translate money and donations into voters right and and that builds with trust and and trust is a very hard thing to accomplish and once it's lost and broken like it is right now it's even harder to to rebuild so you're asking about specifically on money and and that question is how are you bringing in the money like mm -hmm. how are you selling the people that vote for you like mm -hmm. because we know that that isn't the thing what they need to do is be out serving their community and by the way if they did that the donations would come see that that's the thing they would raise money if they actually did something that offered people something no, it we would need happen money first to actually go out right. and help we can't win because we don't have money no you can't get money because you don't stand for anything is like how we feel that's why i can't and you know i can't affiliate like i just it's very unfortunate i know and i cannot blame anyone because so many times I have felt like I can you know, donate for that particular race or that particular group of people. I feel it. I, I understand the people, right? So when when we are talking about this this rebuilding of the of the party and the strategy of the party in connecting that party with with the people, we want to start just like we did with the union in the process that 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 I was describing. So. Having interpersonal connections is not a very expensive thing to do. And when you are doing this and being present in the community and being somebody that it's visible and you do this, you, Jen, you're there, you, yeah. you have kept the, the campaign going, you have, you're present in, in a way that, that does not ask for votes. This is actually very important, not only because you're building those relationships, but also it's giving you that that intel, right? That that you can when you decide if you decide <laughs> to run it in the future, then then you are going to have all of those those relations and that that information that then you can translate into your message, into your mode of action, into what you are going to be doing in the next steps. But yes, Peter, money is important, and that, that's one of the reasons that that we are uh, thinking of this system of, I call it dues, but that's that's only me because I come from that union world, right? right? right. But it's really, it's small dollar donations that I call them to keep the party clean. And when we do that, is going to allow us to keep a steady roof over our heads, that, that we are not finding these, these crazy stories about not paying water that has happened and, and also some payments to workers that 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 were not made also not a great thing but it's also going to allow us to become a little more creative and not feel the pressure of just taking the money because people are giving it to you um, as you know there's particularly on on the democratic side there's there's a large uh, contesting always of like, why are you taking that money and and we're trying to do this and you're doing that. And I think that it's a very valid question that we should be very careful about standing for the things that we say that we care about. And so so us making business with FPL, for example, and Big yeah. Sugar and all of these, yeah. these organizations should never be tolerated, right? Yeah. And so so there's there's lots of other organizations. That's that's the great thing. 
that are pushing for solar energy, that are pushing for, for really great things for, for the environment, that are that are working for trans youth, that are working. There's those are our natural allies. Yeah. And also let's not forget about labor again. You know, labor should be our natural ally. The 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 power of of unions is that when when run properly and when when workers have a voice, they are boots on ground. They are excited and really to ready to to work with with any organization more so if it's the political party that is going to be working with them and bringing their voices to the table as well i think that that we need to find those those places where where union can be more a partner and you know labor the, the entire labor sector including the workers not just the the union that sometimes run like a corporation yeah but but those voices of the workers should be highly represented. We live in a state that has over 50% of people living in poverty, 69% of the people live paycheck to paycheck. We have to be able to talk and their messages. We need to be able to bring those stories to any decision yeah. that we make. And yes, it's important to have money, but there's no money that substitute messages. And this message should be coming from the people and not necessarily from our mouths, but from their mouths. Yeah. We should be empowering the community, not just seeking to come and save them. Right. Well, we just come around and ask for their vote. We don't mm -hmm. actually serve them. We just come around and ask for their vote. That's the democratic way. Uh, you know, I mean, obviously you're, you resonate with us because you're one of our people, but I think it's very important for people to understand the idea of having somebody at the head of our state party that actually comes from rank and file labor is like the best possible thing that could happen for our state party. Like I can't stress that enough because it really is different than the union boss people. We know that. That's a whole different animal. So, and nobody else in this is really at that point where you are, where you're really grassroots. And I think that would totally change the entire dynamic of our state. I do. I do. I think it would change a lot of things. And, I, and I've said it and I will make calls for you. And uh, I, I'm very happy to help because guys, the only way I'll ever affiliate with this party is if they stop being corporate whores. And the only way that has a chance of happening is with someone like Carolina. So oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and you know that the party has deviated so much that right now the conversation is not how do you sell this story? Because this story resonates with the majority of people yes. that I talk to, but how do we sell it to the people that, that have this tunnel vision and that keep on thinking and repeating this false narrative that the only thing that matters is winning elections? When the reality is that if you move the goalpost closer, just by psychology, we know that we're going to have happier people, more dedicated people, more, more engaged with the kind of work that we want to do. If those goals are closer, more attainable things and that we, that we need to also have a, a very sharp reality. You know, uh, one of the, the quotes that I like the most says that the main function of a leader is to first define reality. And the last one is to say thank you. And in the middle, a leader is a servant. So, so but, that's what we're trying to get to. Like, mm -hmm. like that's the, that's the only way we're ever going to win here. And, and, and you are very, I, we are very appreciated. 
Thank you so much. So the reality is that we are not going to have major wins, regardless of who wins this, this election on 2024. But with, with the plan that we are providing, we're at least going to have a, a community and a base in the party that is going to be more empowered, more trained, more connected, more informed about the, the issues of the community and that we are going to be able to fight together to get there. Carolina, uh, it goes without saying that you're the one person who is running, who is doing uh, the due diligence to make sure that people understand that the way the party needs to be run is from the bottom up, not the top down. Um, we know about a lot of the infrastructural problems within the state party. Um, I think that the ascendancy of Governor DeSantis, who is now in depending on who you ask, the favorite to be the next president of the United States. I think that the Florida Democratic Party uh, plays a significant role in his ability to uh, ascend to that la up that ladder. Uh, the loss in 2018 should have been a shot across the bow, but instead they didn't learn from their mistakes and have uh, doubled down on the mistakes that were made. They didn't realize that regardless of what happened with uh, Andrew Gillum, that there were, it was the message that he was delivering during the primary in particular, which was what was exciting people and getting them involved and making it possible that maybe- Amen. Yeah, could actually flip the state. But instead they decided, and I'm not even sure who you can necessarily blame. Um, I think we've covered a we lot- We can name of, some people. No, but let's not. <laughs> okay. My point is, uh, I think that- <laughs> If there's one area that I think really hurts the state party, and I think that, you know, obviously, you know, Terry didn't do anything with it. Obviously, Manny made it worse. Uh, but I think the consultant class is a really big problem. Um, people do not want to talk about the fact that you have these paid. You can call them paid losers because they're not paid to win. And the reason I say this, and even if you are a consultant who's going to hear this, the fact of the matter is... You Own lose it. all the time, and yet you somehow still get hired. You <clears throat> still make a ridiculous amount of money, and that's money that could be better served towards the state party infrastructure for, let's say, people on the ground who could be organizing different things locally, like what yes. we do. And we don't get paid and, and reaching to the community and all yeah. these things, right? And so we need we need to change that, remove some middle people from the yeah. equation uh -huh. and also come to this realization that we, are, we have been wasting money, essentially. This idea of the, okay, let's raise a lot of money, then the consultants are going to take over and they, and they, they, they do the operation on the ground. When they leave after, our, after we lose, they move with all of those resources and nothing stays on the ground. So we're essentially poorer as an organization after they came than, than yeah. when they were coming. Yeah, they siphon the resources. And by the way, that's by design. It's yes. on purpose. I call them white collar carnies. And I think that like the way that they go from state to state, it really is that. And they will milk every single campaign for every ounce of money they can. And they always have someone on the inside of a campaign. And they also double dip. Somebody will be working as a staff for a campaign and getting paid whilst their company is also getting paid by the campaign that they own, the company they own. And in many instances that, you know, that, that corporate 
entity that is involved from a cons- from a consultant firm standpoint, they're also deliberately sabotaging the grassroots candidate if there was. Yeah, of course. So. There's actually some that that are like one that we have here in Weston, very close to us. Uh, we're all in Broward uh, County. The that. The husband is a Republican and does some consulting on the Republican side, sure. and the, the wife is a Democrat and does the consulting on the Democratic side. And what do you bet that it's all the Everybody same at the end of the day? Because we know that's it is. The, that is the exact same strategy as James Carville. Oh, uh, no. Now, see, you're now you're, that's more Lindsey Graham. And Mary Matt and Mary Matlin. You're much more Lindsey Graham. The Republican. And if you saw the ridiculous townhome that they own on the Potomac in Alexandria, Virginia, it's grotesque. It's like, it, you know, that thing doesn't pay for right, itself. We can't go down this rabbit hole. Because but the idea, is- though, guys, is that we can do that. You know, that that we can remove those those middlemen and that yeah, we yeah. can invest in our community and use those resources. Yes, we need some money, but, but yeah. we can use those resources into an investment, which is education in our community, make sure that, that we have that that capacity of reaching out, that we have a capacity of recording some of the results of those conversations and that we're building up that message based on the interactions that we have. Every contact should should generate data and all of that data should be put together so that we have better results. The, the state is going to be divided in like regions and, and we're going to promote something that it's a fast response for anything. So, so you're going to have a small nuclei and the nuclei is going to have some, a group of, of small counties or maybe just one large county. And that you're supposed to, as, at the end of a meeting, you're supposed to have a staffer on the meeting and they have exactly, since you close your computer for, for that meeting, that staffer has 24 hours to deliver a form of a response. Either you're doing great, this is a, the feedback, or these are the resources that you were asking for. This is the date that you're going to, to get those resources. This is where we are. This is the information that you requested. Something should, should happen there. But in 24 hours, the, there's no need that we have to wait more. And some of these operations are so fast-paced that that it's ridiculous that we have to spend sometimes over a month. And I have heard stories of people waiting for two months to just get an email response. And during during elections, this should be even more important and more uh, more streamlined. So candidates are going to have a hotline that if they have any any issue on the on the ground or or with technology yeah. they're supposed to have a voice on the other side of the phone that that can tell them okay this is the this is where you need to be clicking or this is where where you're going to go we need to get you in but, but we have to go we can't we can't keep going but um is we know that it's a certain group of people that can vote for you so i can't say everybody vote for carolina because you really can't um but get me a list and i will make be happy to make calls for you Thank you. And for everybody that's, that's listening, please talk to your elected state committee people who are the ones that are going to be voting and also your elected officials who are also going to be voting and please challenge them so that they don't continue repeating the same mistakes and expecting the, the different result. Thank you so much for coming, Carolina. Carolina, how can people find uh, you know you or anything that you may be doing leading up to the election? She has a website. It's like, it's a Carolina. What is it? Tell me. It's carolinaforfdp.com. 
And you can also find us on Facebook. That's Carolina for FDP. And also you can find us on Twitter and that's one MDC and underscore. So it's one MD underscore C and, and that's the Twitter handle. Sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, guys, show some support. This is definitely an uphill battle. And we have they have this weighted vote and other sort of super delegate kind of so nonsense nice. that we have at the state level. So there will be, I am sure, chicanery afoot. Keep doing yes. what you're doing. Obviously, uh, with the two candidates now in the race that the party is going to basically be, you know, going back and forth with, um, this presents another lane uh, for you to kind of run through. And depending on what happens between now and February 25th, I believe is the date of the election, uh, you can create more and more momentum for yourself as well as more and more leverage for the non-corporate left, regardless of what ultimately ends exactly. up happening. It's all leverage. So create as much of it as you can. And I'm sure by the time we hit the home stretch, which will be next week, there will be a lot to discuss. And who knows? If anything's possible nowadays. Thanks. So let's hope. Thank you so much. And uh, if I can make just a quick shout out, thank you to Senator Nina Turner for her endorsement. And also thank you to people for democracy in America and also Florida for Bernie for their very kind endorsements. All right. Thanks, Carolina. Thanks, Carolina. Thank you guys. We'll see you. Yeah, no, that's good. That's the, that's the only safe way that, it's ever going to work is to merge labor into the party. And no. there's no better way to merge labor into the party than actually bring labor into the party. Fascinating concept. She's a lovely person and she does. She's a lovely. Lot of, Your girl's a lot of, lovely. A lot of great work uh, locally, uh, which is kind of what people need. Yeah. The ones that are being selected, if you will, because it's not elected, it's selected. Um, you know, they're very often uh, individuals that, are just either looking for a job or looking to maintain the no, status. Carolina walks the walk. She's actually an organizer, a grassroots public servant minded person that I have known for now, like seems four years. Now, nothing of course is ideal, but I will say, and if you guys want to know ultimately where we would stand, if it wasn't uh, Carolina who would get elected, uh, anybody that isn't Debbie Wasserman Schultz's choice is who we would support. So there's look that. it up. Yeah. And look if you don't believe up. me, look it up. Yeah, look it up. That's look it up. <laughs> so let's talk about a lot of issues that are very important considering what's going on <sighs> right now. Home it's and abroad, of course. Depressing. But, you know, they say we're fighting wars overseas. We're fighting wars at home. We're poisoning war, our people. Yeah, the war at home is fighting the corporate special interest agenda that has been completely dominating our country. But now it seems to be getting right up in everybody's face. And, of course, that is the... Uh, Ohio Railroad uh, derailment, which was a complete disaster in East Palestine, Ohio. Palestine. Palestine. Mm -hmm. Oh, I can't say Palestine. No, you actually, it's not. It's Palestine. Okay. Well, okay, linguist. Um, no, this town is called that. It's not my opinion. Well, anyway, in Palestine East, there was a, t just kidding. There was a absolutely <laughs> tragic uh, train derailment. <laughs> and it was something that, as is not a surprise, could have been avoided. And as one can imagine, and we'll get into this with our wonderful guest. Uh, the poetic justice of the timing of this with the railway workers strike. There is a lot of denial going around. And my goodness, I hope whoever has to defend President Biden and Secretary Pete. 
Mayo Pete. They must get paid extremely well because you have to take a lot of showers to wash off that dirt after you're done lying through your teeth to pretend like they're not as guilty as sin when it comes to this. But I digress. He is a, you're never a former Marine. He is a Marine, Marine. former candidate for former the U.S. Candidate. Senate. You're, you're, you're cutting me off. Sorry, I'm excited. For the U.S. Senate in North Carolina on the Green Party ticket. Yeah. A green that is worth voting for. You get my drift. Matthew Ho, welcome back to Generational Change. Hey, guys. It's good to see you. Thank you for having me back. I hope your uh, New Year's going well. Is it too late to wish you guys Happy no, New Year? Okay, it is Happy not. New Year. It's nice to see you. Good to see you. Uh, thank you for waiting. We're running a little late. Oh, he was no running a little late. And um, we have this um, party chair race that's going on here with the Florida party imploding. And there is an opportunity for there to be an actual change. Mm-hmm. And and I'm not necessarily overly optimistic that that will happen, but I'm just happy that there's even the potential that it could happen. So that's why we were that's what we were discussing because that's the only person in this race that would could potentially really change like their thoughts on service and money and which would really change things. Right. Well, here in North Carolina this past weekend, the uh, North Carolina Democratic Party shocked a lot of people because they actually fired their chair after the North Carolina Democratic Party uh, just did abysmal. In, and I say this as objectively as I can, you yeah. know, I mean, but I mean, right. Uh, and certainly people who followed my campaign probably understand my attitude or feelings towards the North Carolina Democratic Party. But the. Um, uh, they they shocked a lot of people because they fired their chair in in a vote. Of course, she wasn't actually fired fired, but and brought and elected a twenty uh, five year old uh, young woman uh, to run the party. Uh, youngest, uh, I think she might be the youngest party state party chair in history. At least in North Carolina, she is, and possibly across the U.S. But the North Carolina Democratic Party just just performed just uh, abhorrently. I mean, lost everything it could. The Republicans yeah. uh, came away with a supermajority in the state Senate. Uh, the, they are one seat away in the state House from having a super supermajority, and they've just they're working on changing the state House rules. So that they can call a session in, you know, as soon as they realize the Democrats don't have the vote. I mean, like, so it's it, it's basically have the supermajority, but also too, the Democrats lost all their statewide elections, and they only won one race that you really could say it was contested. In our state, in North Carolina, we have 150 state Senate and House seats. The Democrats chose not to run candidates in over 40 of those races. Yeah, That's that like sounds here. like Florida. Yeah. We, we, had, we had about 20. Matt, Matt, the consultants have to be And paid. Well, the thing <laughs> is, what's so frustrating is they stand there, all the Democrats, and we have a very big supermajority, our legislature, and all the Democrats are constantly bitching about it, but yet nobody thought that it might make a good idea to run some candidates in viable seats. We had about 20 right. viable seats. Yeah. And they didn't, nobody was there because they put all their money behind Charlie Crist and Val Demings in unwinnable races. Yeah, you know, it's quite remarkable uh, how much, you know, you're saying, Peter, but it's consultants is no joke. Uh, You know, even losing elections make money. Right. We say that. I mean, I'm in the anti-war community. That's what we say about war. Right. Even losing wars make money. But even losing elections are going to make money. People are going to do very well. And I heard what you'd said. Uh, you know, previously, it's absolutely the case. You can lose race after race, election after election, just just uh, do nothing 
to demonstrate any type of commitment to furthering your cause, you know, to, to try and do something for your supposed constituency. And it's okay because your constituency is walled off from you. You're insulated from it. This is all about the, you know, and so it is, I, I hear what you guys are saying and it's just, it's, it's really disheartening because you see, you know, he, I see here in North Carolina, obviously what you're saying in Florida, but we see place after place where the system is so corrupt you know, everything is so cynical within it, whether it be the rules or the people that populate it, that they're, you know, the, the idea of losing hope and giving up is, 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 is quite easy. Uh, but then the reason why you don't is because you'd be giving up and you'd be letting these people win. So I guess that's why we don't. Well, that's what we say. It's like yeah. that. What does Chris Hedges say? You don't fight fascists because you can win. You fight fascists because they're fascists. Like, right. it's kind of like, that's not the point. The point is, is that it's the it's the hand we've been dealt. Right. That's right. That's yeah, right. Uh, Friends of the show, uh, Keaton from Dudissonance has pointed out, you know, everyone's out there running cover. There's they're really it's very unique because of somebody who, you know, served in what I consider to be the most not only the most sought after uh, from a respect perspective if you're going to serve in the military, but also the ones that put themselves in the greatest danger. Um, you see a lot when people talk about this um, this hero worship that goes on in society, mm. especially with Trump. The politicians in general. The type of hero worship that goes on for somebody like a Pete Buttigieg <laughs> is really perplexing. And, you know, mm. Joe Biden's been the vice president. He was a senator for, you know, 40 years He's the president now. I can understand there being a knee-jerk defense of somebody that you feel like you have a connection to. Again, it's all BS, but right. you know, understanding human psychology, you know, I get Joe on that level to a degree. But Pete, I mean, it, it, that is the greatest media creation I've ever seen. It's a Clinton. It's brought to you by the Clintons. And the average liberal who looks at Pete and admires him the way a, a conservative admires Trump, they really don't see the connection. Like, I don't understand how they're so, how they do, it does not compute with them that they're just as sycophantic as, as they are on, on the MAGA side when they think that Trump can't do anything wrong. Whereas with Pete, he hasn't done anything but done wrong. He doesn't, he hasn't right. done anything right. He, he is a disaster. Are we going right into Pete? We're going to go right into transfer? Can't help it because you're seeing what's happening as a result of the train derailment in East Palestine. Got it right. <laughs> uh, they don't even want to acknowledge that there's some responsibility on his part. Every I'm so sad about stupid that whole sycophant, thing. I'm so every sad. paid consultant right. is running cover for this guy. And we all know why they're doing it. But obviously, we'd like to hear your thoughts as to what you are following this whole little thing, right? Yeah. Oh, it, it, it's it's quite scary, right? Because this could happen anywhere. I mean, my train tracks are. Uh, I mean, not now. Maybe years ago, I could have thrown a baseball and hit them. Maybe a little, yeah. maybe, maybe farther. You know, what I mean, but like, yeah, that's where our train tracks are. I mean, this could happen anywhere. Yeah. Um, and and so and it's something I think most people have been saying. This is coming. Something like this is coming, you know, not just on the the, the railroad side, but across our infrastructure, across our uh, 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 industry. Just listening to Ralph Nader the other day talk about how uh, that poor man died in that Caterpillar plant, uh, fell into the vat 
of molten, you know, lava, basically. Thermal annihilation is what the coroner's report said. Uh, Left behind three little girls. All because Caterpillar didn't want to abide by any safety regulations. There's no way of charging these people with any criminal actions. And their pals in government are not going to do anything about it. And they're going to circle the wagons and protect themselves, just like what we're seeing with here. I'm going to post in uh, our private chat because I can't put it in the comments, I guess. Uh, an essay I wrote a few a couple of years ago when Buttigieg was running uh, for president, I, I delved into, looked into his time in the military, what he actually did, how he never got a security clearance, how he, he never had an MOS, how this is all just one uh, uh, preparation for him running nationally. You know, he, he, he knew that having that military pedigree would benefit him. And certainly, if you remember during the campaign, there are photos of him carrying an M4 in uniform all the time, even though he really didn't do anything, you know, and I, I title for people who, who haven't seen it, it's in Counterpunch, you know, heaven protect us from men who live the illusion of danger. And that's what you have. You have like this, this notion that these men and women are either are serious, that they have somehow gone through life experiences that have hardened them, that, that Pete Buttigieg's time in Afghanistan was the same as JFK's time with PT-109 in the Pacific during the Second World War, that somehow these are men you know, and women that have yeah. been hardened by life experiences because they've chosen to put themselves into these realms. The same thing, too, that somehow that these people are going to uh, the fact that, say, uh, Joe Biden is still uh, 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 self-promoting as being Union Joe. You know, Joe, right? I mean, like Joe from Scranton, Pennsylvania, still talking right. about the hard scrabble he came from, about his parents, his dad and his uncle and blue, you know, lunch pail type politics. And yeah, after what they just did to the railroad workers back in, in December, mm -hmm. you know, and so Boogie, you have that, you have, so you have these rail issues, you have, of course, all the things that have happened with the airlines. I was going to uh, say, let's right? talk about Southwest just in and of itself. Like the whole thing is a disaster. Well, I'm flying Southwest in two weeks. So let's uh, all knock on wood and uh, hope it's still going and still flying at that point. But, you know, I mean, you know, same thing too. But then also, I mean, even we had uh, two years ago, the supply chain issues, the ports were all messed up. The trucks coming out of the ports couldn't get out. I mean, on and on. And at that point, you know, particularly when Pete went on paternity leave, which is something that most people in this country don't have. He exactly. went on it though, right? Yeah, you know what I mean? So they're so out of months. touch. Oh, good. And he went on it for like two, two or three, three months. months. Yeah, right. I mean, nobody has that. Meanwhile, that was at the point where like first time I'm almost 50 years old. I've never seen stores that were missing stuff on the shelves. I've never gone into a Target and seen it empty like I saw it two years ago. You know, and up oh, he's on paternity leave and it's not really his fault anyway. Yeah, he's a secretary, but he just took over. I mean, the whole idea, I think, was that most people have no idea who the secretary of transportation ever is. And if he does stuff, he kind of goes around and opens up new airports or stands on ships and gets his photo taken, you know, like that kind of thing. That this was going to be a not a real serious job. No one's going to pay attention to it, but it allowed him to be out. And I think most importantly, it would allow him to be out meeting the high profile big donors of the Democratic Party. They're only just getting to know him. And of course, this catastrophe that has been his time and all at time in, in running the, the, the transportation department, most highlighted by what's happened here in, in Palestine, is it, just, you know, it, and more is going to come. More is going to come. 
we have a, a corrupt, a, a corrupted, uh, degraded, uh, just uh, thoroughly debased infrastructure in this country that is uh, controlled by a, a greedy uh, industry that's bought off the politicians. I'm surprised it hasn't been worse than what we've seen. Can you know? And one of the things that I was just watching, like the parts on these trains are like from the turn of the century. And I mean like mm. the last century, by the right. way. And it's, right. this is, it's so absurd that it, it, it almost feels like the bizarro world. Like how would you not expect a derailment right. to happen? That's how right. would you not expect that? And by the way, another thing, and this doesn't get talked about enough, is what those products that are being transported, who they're benefiting and what they're for. Because my understanding is that our railways that go through our towns that potentially pollute and poison our people are taking things through them that never benefit people in this country. And right. we have that down here, specifically a railway that goes across in Miami through some of our vulnerable areas. And it's stuff that gets shift, shipped from the port. So it's mining the resources, poisoning our people and sending things overseas. So there's not even a benefit to the, to the, like, you know, you have to look at everything societally, like cost benefit. Like, yeah, some things aren't great, but we need it because of X, Y, and Z. This doesn't do anything for us. This just profits the railway carriers. Well, it's something I was just talking about with a friend of mine about, uh, <clears throat> he was talking about the Northeast. I was talking about here, North Carolina, uh, you drive around, you know, I had that campaign last year and I went across the entire state. We're a big state, lots of geographic differences in North Carolina. Uh, and you saw the same things over and over again. And you see the same destitution, the same towns that have been left behind, whether it be white towns or black towns, mountain towns or coastal towns, it's the same thing. I mean, the number of times I saw this past year, and I had seen this before, but you pass through, so you don't pay much attention. But now I'm a candidate out there you know, shaking hands and kissing babies and everything. And so you notice these things more. And, you know, but the, the number of times I saw this past year, uh, see things that look like scenes out of movies, gas stations that were overgrown with ivy and moss and, and right vegetation. You know, the number of times you see that. And what, what we were talking about was this idea that we have these pass through towns. These towns that have been denuded, that have been uh, devoid, that the industry's been taken out of. There's no manufacturing anymore. And there's no small farms anymore. There's nothing in these towns. And so they become nothing but pass-through towns. And they're used. They're utilized for services. You have a gas station. You have a Hardee's. You have a Taco Bell. That's it. That's the whole purpose. It's to, it's to facilitate other people. And that's what most of rural America is like. I don't know anything about Palestine, Ohio. I'd never heard of it. I would have called it Palestine as well, right? I mean, like, never heard of the place. The reason why I know of it now is because you had this terrible, right. terrible, yeah, right? I mean, like this apocalyptic type of, 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 you know, I don't know if those photos are Photoshopped or not. And the things that you're I reading. I don't think so. And, right? and here's I mean, the thing is, is ooh. that if the mainstream media were covering this, then I would question all of the photos. But the fact that they're not touching this really, like this is getting so little coverage for the disaster that it is. And they've already now cleared it. The EPA said, oh, it's safe to go back in there. Uh, yeah, no, I don't think so. And I don't believe them. And you know that what um, the railroad uh, carrier paid is paying the town 25 grand, which comes out to $5 a person in that town. That's what they're uh, yeah. paying. Uh, on cue, the train is actually coming by. Just I don't know if you guys really? could hear See? that. It's, it's just, yeah. it's, it's yeah. absolutely ridiculous. These people are being poisoned. And, and not only can you not know um, that you can't believe who's doing the tests, 
But even testing anything now, that's not telling us anything. They don't even know half of the stuff that how things operate with ecosystems and what right. this, they don't know how it will affect you down the road. You know, well, I mean, there's yeah. no accounting for that. The problem that we have is that, and we have a member of the chat, we get the, we get the, you know, the normie Dems that'll float in here and they'll defend the status quo, you know, that'll happen. But the point is, our infrastructure as a whole in this country is basically a D, right. which is unbelievable. It's embarrassing. So I don't give a damn why this train derailed. If we lived in a country that actually valued infrastructure, which again speaks to the whole idea of supporting labor, which we don't, then we would be in a much more beneficial economic situation and environmental situation because the infrastructure would be upgraded and that would include having high-speed rail. Any of these normie Dems that are supporting this infrastructure bill, which was supposed to be basically an, a, a bargaining chip to get the Build Back Better bill passed. See how that went? How'd that go for you? This is a corporate giveaway of the worst kind. And the ones who are out there saying, oh, we did a good thing. The, the misnomer that a lot of these normie, comfortable liberal Dems have in places like the Charlotte suburbs, Asheville, places like that. So Don't knock Asheville. My point being is that if the bill allocates 2 to 3% of what is actually being spent on something that's good, they will act like this is a great bill. We did really well. We are now having to fight Republicans on Social Security. Yeah. These are all distractions from the reality that the system does not work for working people. In fact, it doesn't even work for middle or in there many is cases, no more middle upper people. middle class people. This right. works for the upper class and only the upper class. Yeah. Now, are there certain ad advantages some people perceive if you're below the poverty line? The idea with the governmental infrastructure that we have right now is that if you're below the poverty line, they want you to stay there. They want No, to they actually you. want you to just die. Well, that's true too. They don't want to have to pay you anything, but yeah. the whole idea, it's like the idea behind the living wage versus a minimum wage, which of course is a slave wage. We would rather you have to get subsidized by the government because then you're a dependent. Then you're a then serf. Then you really need us <laughs> and we can get you to vote a certain way. Don't ever expect us to give you financial freedom. That ain't coming but we can allow you to work within a system that makes you dependent on us. That's why so many places never change. This is the basic economic platform of the corporate special interest. You realize you're talking to a socialist, right? Well, whatever, whoever I'm talking to, I think you get okay, no, I think yeah. that's what you're saying. <laughs> it, it, no, exactly. Spot on. I mean, I, I think the worst, one of the things that we encounter though, is so many people think that what has occurred and is occurring is a product of nature, that what is occurring is organic that this is how things just happen to work, that there's been no yeah. plan behind it, no design, that this is not the, the, the brilliant success of five or six decades of financialization policies, yeah. that this is, this is what the neoliberal policies working look like. Make sure all the money goes to the top. It, it also includes other things such as regulatory capture. I mean, there's what, what, what federal agency has any type of teeth in it. None. That is, a, right? I mean, look at what None. we've just seen from the FAA. Look what we know about with OSHA. Uh, you brought up the EPA. Remember how well the EPA did uh, after 
how many people are dead because of what the EPA said about uh, ground zero and how it was safe to go Please, back. They're still yeah. fighting to get you coverage John, for their first responders for right. certain types you, of cancer. You literally needed John Stewart to run Seriously. a multi-year campaign right. just to get people right. suffering from burn pits. Like, right. it's, it's, <laughs> you really yeah. can't make this shit up. So this is all part of a plan now. And I think what yeah. we're running up into up, up against are, are I think a lot of people view this as this is the way it works. This is the way or worse. This is because of too much government meddling. If you left industry up to its own, it will. But they're paying too many taxes and they're too busy doing diversity seminars and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, for them to maintain their infrastructure. Right. If they were allowed to, to keep the money they make they will be able to reinvest in themselves, in their infrastructure, in their people, in their productivity, all that nonsense, because we know it's not true because they barely pay anything now. And when we see where do they put all their money, they don't put it back into their people. They don't put it into their productivity. They no. certainly don't put it into the safety, uh, <laughs> into safety things, right? I mean, it goes into stock buybacks, executive compensation. I mean, the amount of money we're talking about here is trillions of dollars. Yep. Uh, you know I mean? So none of, uh, none of this is a surprise. Like I said, I think the only thing that's a surprise is that it hasn't been happening more often and God help us, I, I think it might. I want to touch upon a very yeah. important point that you were making regarding the faux militarism of Buttigieg and how... Oh no, I believe he's probably a war hawk if that's what you're talking. You mean faux, like he's not resume, a, yeah, he's not like, like an embellishment real, of his resume? He, yeah. He's not somebody who, who actually, you know, he, he wasn't served in entrenched warfare. He wasn't somebody who... Uh, he, I don't think not, he's like George Santos level. Well, no. Okay. <laughs> okay. I just want to clarify. Script. Like, I do believe he did actually technically do those things. Can you talk as a as a Marine uh, to the impact that DeSantis is going to have when he hits the national stage? Because people really do not understand uh, the fact that he served in combat, the fact that he was JAG, the fact that he was involved with Guantanamo Bay, that there are there is a huge portion of the population that has been wanting a commander in chief like this for a long time, right. and they're going to very likely get it with him. Can you talk about how underrated an aspect his military background actually is? Uh, hey, you saying that, I mean, I, I think he's the kind of guy who's going to take the title uh, Generalissimo, right, <laughs> and make himself a uniform with all kinds of gold braids and trinkets <laughs> hanging off of it. Uh, I think he's going to really embrace that. I think he's really going to embrace that militarism. I think he, there is a grotesque side to him, of course, but that ties into a lot with the aspects of the evilness that resides within the military, that resides within. Look, war is nothing more than organized murder. Those who revel in it have a type of uh, sociopathy or psychopathy, whichever one it is, that has to be understood. And I think DeSantis fits that. I think, of course, we have a culture that we had this aberration uh, and I think there are ways we can get back to it. And I would like to see our political system get back to it. Let's not forget that 06, the Democrats take the House for the first time in 40 years because of the Iraq war. Yeah. 08, we get our first black president because he's an anti-war candidate. He beats Hillary Clinton and he beats uh, the war hero, John McCain. I yeah. mean, so there are it's the war, as long as the war is touching people, it can have political consequences and carry weight. But once they made these wars invisible, particularly in the second half of the Obama administration, you started losing that. And then, of course, what you have then is, is the ability for people like DeSantis to demagogue off of it, to wave the bloody shirt, to utilize photos of him in uniform, to shout down any opposition to militarism, 
you don't have a right to say this. You never served. You hear this stuff all the time. Tying into the cultural phenomenon of militarism in the United States. I didn't realize this, but there's been this Navy SEAL show on CBS for like six or seven years now. It's a huge hit. You know, when I got on uh, my Apple TV the other day, the banner up the top that was was advertising it was, uh, you know, that that nice young guy from the office. You know, he's Tom Clancy's uh, uh, Jack Ryan. Right. I mean, which is which is a show. Yeah. 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 Right. I mean, that's a show that is written. I'm one of the you know, at Langley. I mean, that is a show that is a CIA production through and through. Yeah. And I mean, so he fits right into that and he's going to segue right into that. He's going to click into it like a puzzle piece. And I think I, I think there's a point I have not heard many others bring up, but I think you're absolutely right. And I think it gives him some degree above Trump where there, there, you, you can't go after him for not serving like you could with Donald Trump, you know, call him Captain exactly. Spurs or whatever they used to call him or whatnot. Right. I mean, so, yeah. So I think there's a there's a real danger with the Santas here with his ability to use his photos and uniform, his, uh, you know, utilize utilize that to kind of promulgate his superiority. And Buttigieg did that as well. Buttigieg in 2020 in the debates at times said things along the lines of as the only person here who's been in combat. Yeah. You know, so trying to rest, trying to maneuver that into a place of authority. Yeah. You know? And um, yeah. sniveling little. Well, shit. I can't stand people really that <clears throat> play cards. That's playing a card. Okay. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows your resume. Everyone knows your history. It's like uh, Debbie with the breast cancer survivor thing. People like to play cards to appeal to whatever the audience is that they're in front of. And it makes it very not genuine to me. And to me, the people that I meet like you, who are people that have served and yet are anti-war, that's what makes the most sense. The people that are the most pro-war are people that I don't think have ever really and done that's that. that's the big difference between DeSantis and somebody like Buttigieg. Buttigieg will say, well, I actually, start, no, what DeSantis will say is that well, the time that I was deployed in Iraq, and this is what I was, he won't even say I served. He would just say, well, the time that I was deployed in Iraq and I was doing X, Y, and Z, he'll make it really personal. He just knows how to do this. I'm just only and, dragging about it to a yeah, point where it's obvious. He does it, Pete, but like that was gratuitous. It was, it's braggadocious and it's not good. And it, re- mm-hmm. well, and again, that's why I think you know, Trump, who I think he's really from a, just from an objective perspective, his attacks on DeSantis are not going to work the way that they work on other people. In fact, he looks kind of desperate the way that he's been going after him. And DeSantis has actually been. He won't you know, get a just, rise out of him no, at all. He just get he just count. There's a difference between ignoring him like Jeb Bush tried to ignore him. And then there's ignoring him and actually having your actions speak louder than words like DeSantis will do. When right. people are attacking DeSantis or Trump is attacking DeSantis, you see a lot of people going after Trump and saying, that's not cool. I don't like that. With anybody else, they're totally laughing at it. And all the while we're sitting here on the other side, recognizing that DeSantis' ascent to the the presidency has been years in the making, not because he's this manufactured media creation, but because he's been a very savvy politician coupled with the other side of the aisle that pretends like they're really representing working people and they're not. And this country is getting so desperate for some type of leadership, somebody that will speak truth to power right now that is desperately needed. This is how fascism happens. It's 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 created by neoliberalism. So my big question for you is you obviously ran for the U.S. Senate in the Green Party. Obviously, the 2024 election is coming up. 
People are going to be looking for leaders. Now, I'm not saying you should run for president in the Green Party. Yes, he thinks that, though. But but what I am saying is, where do you see your future in terms of how to be involved? Because I will say that if you did run, (laughs) regardless if it's within the Green or wherever you would do it, I think you would actually have the type of working class slash, you know, also being a, a, a service member who can actually reach people that need to be reached. Well, and independent people, but he actually did call me up and say, Matthew Hosher, I'm president. <laughs> I'm just letting you know that. Like he did. He said, I'm going to let him know that he should Well, I that. think if there's anybody that, that <laughs> could you're run. You're the only person in the Green Party that he thinks per- could do that. You're the only person who could actually run on the Green Party ticket that I think would actually attract people. There are people that will overlook the fact that the Green Party's a joke, but actually like you and say, well, I don't really like this party, but I like what you're saying yeah. and I will support so, you. Just as there was a lot of people who said, I can't stand the Republican Party, but I like what Trump is saying, right. so I'll vote for him. I don't like the Democratic Party, but I like what Bernie is saying, so I will vote for him. Yeah, I was going to say, don't compare Matthew to Trump. Bernie um, is a much more I think I used feasible. a pretty good, I think I used a pretty yeah. good. Uh, that, that's very kind. I, I really appreciate it. Thank you. I am not running for anything in 2024 and don't know about the future after that. And, you know, I used to always hear people say that and be like, that guy, that's a load of shit, that guy, you know, but no, actually it's true. I mean, like, I, I have more sympathy for people who say that where, you know, right now I'm working on anti-war stuff and I want to concentrate on that. Uh, because we are at this uh, really dangerous point. Yeah. Uh, you know, it varies between, you know, it's like you're in the uh, opening moments of the movie uh, the day after, or it's like you're in a Simpsons episode uh, right now. It's, it's now absolutely like abs- it's, it's absolutely absurd what is occurring and the danger that yeah. this we are at. But I mean, in terms of of uh, what needs to be done, certainly um, there's a lot of work to be done. We have, uh, I would I would say if I'm involved politically in the future, it's going to be more towards uh, state level ballot access efforts, ways to try and get candidates and parties uh, onto ballots to cause disruption, to cause change, to uh, try and get some type of major reforms in ranked choice voting, proportional representation, as well as the other things that we need, uh, ending gerrymandering, you know, getting money out of politics, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, So, but, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see what occurs uh, on the left these these next couple of years. I'm I'm not very optimistic that much is going to occur. uh, When you say left... You have to be specific as to whom you're referring, because are you are you speaking of the Democrats? No, no, I'm speaking of the independent uh, political left. Just actual uh, left, okay. The actual left, yeah, okay. not, not not the Democratic Party. I was going to say, be, I, I, just yeah. I mean, I think within the Democratic Party, you'll have more of the same. I think you might see a challenger. I, I'm not sure what Marianne Williams is a, Williamson has said in the last week or two. I know she was floating it right and 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 um, kind of making the rounds on the on the on the podcasts and talk shows. And I don't know what she has settled down with on that, but it'll be, I expect to see the democratic party go the way it has been where there may be a challenge where there'll be somebody who'll be putting forth a lot of great ideas and then they'll get crushed and the corporate side of the party will win. And, uh, you know, I mean, so on the, on the left outside the democratic party, is there any, is there any chance of organizing effectively and doing it professionally and having people who can competently perform 
in all aspects in terms of mobilization, organization, fundraising. I mean, look, I, I, I've been told this. I haven't gone to the FEC website and looked it up or not, but I've been told I raised the most money last year uh, for any campaign out to the side of Democratic or Republican Party in the country. It, awesome. it was it was but it was nothing. It was nothing. You know, it, it didn't mean anything in terms of being able to get the results to move the needle a bit, if you will. Right. I mean, so we have to have a humility with, with how are we approaching this at the same time too, that there's uh, as many good reasons for running uh, national and state level candidates that have no chance as there are for not. And if you give up that ground, if you give up that space, no one is representing anything then then you've just given in to this idea that we can never have discussions in certain states on Medicare for all. We can never have discussions on rent control. We can never have discussions on living wage or climate change because those things will be excluded in any type of race uh, where the Democratic Party does not need to look to its left. Uh, so, uh, so, but I, I think it, it, there's, there's a lot to be said about this, I guess. Uh, uh, it, it's, uh, I'll, I'll be, I'll be very interested to see what occurs this next year in particular to set anything up, uh, and who, who will, who will be, uh, willing to stick their neck out to, uh, try and build something. But I mean, I mean, honestly, I don't see, uh, the parties that are on the left at this point doing anything that will matter, you know, in the sense of actually a, putting together some time a unified effort, I think there really has to be some type of new structure built. And um, I think it has to be asymmetrical. I think it cannot be done in the way uh, that we have done things in the past. And I'll give you an example from the anti-war work uh, uh, I've been doing. Will you give us doing. your website so we can put it up while you're talking about this? Because you have an organization, right? Yeah, I'm with the Eisenhower Media Network. Uh, so, uh, and is this where the anti-war group, like, is this what the stuff you're working on? We, we do, st- we do stuff like this primarily. It's, it's a, it, it's our effort is to get, uh, veterans who are anti-war, who are against the military industrial complex, who are trying to bring some degree of sanity, uh, into the conversation, uh, about foreign policy, about militarism into the national media. That's, that's the effort. So basically having a speaker's bureau for anti-war veterans, if you will. Love that. But, you know, you, you look at the anti-war community for years have been trying to replicate what it did in the 60s and 70s, trying to do rallies and speeches and protests and everything, civil disobedience, all good stuff, all necessary, not saying it's not needed, but it's not effective, not in a way that it's going to actually have an impact. I mean, you look at as we approach the 20th anniversary of the Iraq war, I mean, those those demonstrations were massive. I mean, the biggest demonstrations in human history were the anti-Iraq war demonstrations of February and March 2003 didn't stop the war. I mean, what I see, though, is I see groups doing things very smart, smartly. There's an organization called Defend the Guard. What they have done is that they are going into state legislatures and they are proposing legislation that a National Guard unit cannot be mobilized to go overseas unless there's a declaration of war. So on on Wednesday, they'll be they'll be uh, providing public comment in Maryland. Maryland just mobilized its Maryland National Guard to go to Syria to protect the oil fields that the United States seized under the Trump administration and that produce about 65, 70,000 barrels of oil a day that go to some unnamed private company. And this is what the citizens of Maryland are doing, providing the defense force. For, right, And it's been that way in Syria since the Trump administration, that National Guard units 
do that work. Throughout the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, National Guard units accounted for over 40% of our forces in those countries. It would not have been possible to wage those wars without the National Guards. So what this organization, Defend the Guard, has realized is that if we come out from this way, if we take away their ability to utilize the National Guard, they can't wage these wars without declaring war. And so this is what I mean where we have to see things kind of asymmetrically, find where their weaknesses are and do things differently. Then we can't expect the successes of the 60s and 70s, whether they be civil rights, anti-war, environmental, nuclear, whatever it may be, to have the same effect now as they did 50 years ago. Because what we're up against is a living organism that evolves, that adapts, that, that, that of course is going to say, okay, these protests, marches, these are very effective things in the 60s and 70s, we're going to insulate the politicians now through a host of measures, mostly money, to make sure that next time they get their act together, like they did with what we did with Occupy, like we did with Standing Rock, like we did with Black Lives Matter and the yeah. post-George Floyd, right, where you have 15 to 20 million people on the streets, but then you get no political change. How is that possible? Well, it's because over the decades, the establishment, the powers that be, understood the threat and they insulated the politicians from the threat so that, yeah, you can go out and march and chant and do everything you want, but it doesn't change votes, unfortunately. And so we have to find ways to do that. And getting back to your point about independent politics, left politics, one of the ways I believe is to run candidates, run campaigns, disrupt these manufactured, uh, well-manicured, uh, deliberate two-party setups cause disruption and force the state legislatures to react to that because people are running multiple candidates in these in this system only meant for two candidates and the results we're expecting are not happening anymore. It has to be done on a mass level, of course, and it has to be done professionally and competently. But I think that's how you get the disruption that will then cause some degree of change. And I know people don't want to hear about electoralism and everything, but I don't know. I've been in I've been places where electoralism was destroyed. I've seen what it looks like. I've seen people kill each other. And I can tell you, I'll just say this. The left is not going to win in a fist fight. It's not. No. Clearly. Definitely. We're not. Um, they won't have. Here's the thing. When the, when the apocalypse happens, the left is going to be stuck in coastal cities and trying to call for somebody. And then there's no more power. OK, so these are not survivalists we're talking about. I know I'm going to Florabama and going to go look up Bo because Bo's is he, he'll know what's going on. Can you uh, talk uh, briefly about your thoughts on workers strike back and what Shama Sawant is attempting to do? I do think that that, if anything, has probably the most potential. Yeah. If it's, you know, handled properly. Yeah. I mean, we saw what happened with some of the other groups. Well, well but like the that. difference is, is that she's not co-optable. That's the, that's the difference. She's already very established and successful. She has a proven track record of what she does and stands for. She didn't just like create an organization. Sure. What You're happened? Mu You're muted. Something happened. You there we go. Okay, yeah, there we go. To, uh, you know, um, the, uh, uh, I mean, she was so successful in terms of what she did legislatively uh, yeah. compared to relative to, you know, and then also too the way she withstood those assaults against her, you know, recall campaigns bankrolled by Amazon and Boeing. Yeah. I mean, she defeated them. Yeah. And so for her willingness to step aside, she could have done the easy thing and stayed there. It wouldn't have been easy. She would have had to defeat recall after recall and fight every time. But she could have done that. But she's chosen to do something differently. And I really admire her for that. Um, I think that her efforts are, are, are 
yeah, we'll see if they work. But I, I think that type of organizing, that type of organizing where you all just saying a little while back about how there is no more upper middle class. Well, there's really not much of a middle class either. Where's the where do you draw the line between the working class and the middle class? Oh, no, I was saying there's no more middle class. Yeah. OK. Yeah. All right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, when, when, when 63 percent of us are living paycheck to paycheck, you yeah. know, so it, we need someone like Sawant who can unify bring together these diverse groups of whether they see themselves as middle class or working class, but they actually all live in the same household together because everyone's moving in together because no one can afford the rent or no one can get a mortgage, not with the prices and 6% interest. I mean, so, I mean, right. I mean, so you're gonna, uh, I, I think, I, I think we'll see, but you know, unfortunately I feel like we're starting over again. I feel like th there has been nothing that, that, that both the Democrats and Republicans were so successful from, uh, I don't know, from the 80s on, or maybe I guess since McGovern, uh, in terms of their desire to uh, uh, pursue electoral politics in a manner that was going to make sure that they were always going to be flush with cash, divide the system up so that it's roughly split, right? And that's how it works. Every uh, the White House changes over, the House and Senate constantly changes over. These governorships are roughly split. The state houses are roughly split, you know. And so red's got some, blue's got the others. Everyone wins. And as you know, you're saying before, Peter, with the uh, uh, amount of money in this, the consultants keep making money, you know. And then of course the relationship between pol politicians and industry, you have all they're all going to have golden parachutes. So if you don't get reelected. Ah, don't worry. You're going to get on a couple of different boards. You're going to be fine. You're going to, you've, you've got, you've got plenty of things ahead of you. Yeah, so, I mean, they've been so successful at this that I feel that we for decades, or it has been, it has been for decades, is this constant try attempts to like get something going, get a foundation going. I mean, you've seen with the Green Party where they've been around for 40 years and they don't have anything. They have almost no money in their bank account. They're they they. I think they have less than twenty states with ballot access right now. You know, I mean, it's just like the ability to keep up and to fight has just been. They've been overwhelmed. And the same, I think, with the right, the the shit show that the Libertarian Party is right now. Uh, I mean, the fact that they are, uh, could, you know, don't want to get into all that, but but I mean that that sense of, of it just, I think it's frustrating for a lot of people that the conversations continually be about starting something new, about laying the foundation, about building infrastructure, hearing the need to create networks and not seeing it happen. And I think people then turn off, of course. Last, yeah. last thing I want to touch on, we both would love to hear about, um, obviously, you know, we talked uh, briefly about this prospect of an anti-war rally, but what I think is more important well, and we weren't we're, like participating no, in that. No, there is one, no. obviously. I'm sure you're aware that there's this big. And now rally. it's splintered off, and apparently, Code Pink is going to do their own thing. Could you just talk about the importance of, like any movement, like the worker strike back, like a new political party, the importance of having the right leadership, having the right people, whether in this case, right. in my opinion, if you're going to have an anti war rally, the only people who really should be speaking are people who have served in combat, people who actually know what the horrors of war actually is that can speak to the American people and tell them, this is hell, you don't want it, the Ukrainian people don't want it, the Yemeni people don't want it, the Iraqi people don't want it, and so on and so forth, and we have to understand why these wars are being fought. 
when certain opportunistic people are the ones leading the charge, it hurts the movement. Right. It, significantly. it, it hurts credibility. Right. It does. And you're, you're way more gracious to combat veterans than I would ever be. Uh, you know, I think we should be there because we have a we have a wage we have to work off. We, we, we have we have repentance we have to do. We have uh, atonement to make. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think that there's a reason for it that way. But certainly um, I, I think what you have is you have when you have distractions and you that's what a lot of this is. Distractions about personalities, about organizations, when you have people and organizations leading things that are opaque at best. And have and you see within them violent fragmentation occurring. I mean, I'll say that say about the Libertarian Party with this Mises Caucus and the the fragmentation that has occurred within the Libertarian Party. I could tell you with about this this event you're talking about on February nineteenth. Yeah, uh, it it really split the Green Party. Um, and you know, there there the idea that there wasn't going to be a focus on anti-war. And I'll also say a lot of these folks who are involved in this protest, I would not really describe them as anti-war. I think an anti-war position is that Russia's invasion, uh, it was criminal, it was obscene, uh, and uh, it, it should be opposed. And But it was a, it was provoked by the actions of NATO and the United States. I mean, I think that's a, an anti-war position. You're only-, right, only you're, offering, you're offering nuance. No, you're making do, intelligent, reasonable discussion. Well, I mean, I, I, it's, it's kind of, I remember this last year, I mean, that was my, my, my statement was, was paraphrasing James Connolly, the great Irish socialist rebel, you know, from a hundred years ago, uh, more than a hundred years ago. Uh, he was murdered on 1916. So, but uh, the idea of neither King nor Kaiser, like that during the First World War, the Irish were forced to choose between the king or the Kaiser. And that's complete nonsense. It's like being forced in our electoral system, right? Yeah. Choose between Biden or Trump or mm -hmm. Buttigieg and DeSantis, right? I mean, like oh. you have to make this choice. And so I think this is one of the, I think the, the incompetencies we see uh, over the decades, the inability for organizations to focus and to get things done, but rather to become... Uh, uh, become uh, ways for certain charismatic individuals to highlight themselves. And of course, these individuals oftentimes have not competency or they're greedy or whatever. And, and so, I mean, I'm not just talking about this anti-war rally that a no, lot of people are. This is generally, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of egos with yeah. these people. And the fact that there's splintering and issues with planning an anti-war rally is very telling to me. It's like you people can't even get along enough to protest fighting. Like the, right. it's so it's ludicrous, but I agree with what you're saying. I don't know that the rallies and the protests, what it does do, it doesn't change policy necessarily, but it does build coalition and camaraderie when it's done properly Correct. and it's done like, I, I think, and that is important um, because then ultimately that can lead to the next, like, link in, in the chain. Like, think about somebody right. like you who served in combat as a Marine, and obviously the overwhelming majority of Marines identify uh, as conservative, and that's fine. But I'm willing to bet that even though you identify as socialist, that because you are semperfied, that your brothers, regardless of where they stand politically, especially if they understand the, you know, the uselessness of war, that they would stand and lock arms with you any day, libertarian and so right. forth. Yeah. Me, the power of that message 
of you standing side by side, the socialists and a libertarian standing side by side saying, we have a crisis in this country of endless war and we have to figure out how to fight it. That message will resonate 10 times stronger than any message that one of these popular right, YouTube correct. personalities who never served in the military, mind you, are going to a spouse and think, oh yeah, we're really doing something yeah. here. If anything, what you numbnuts should do is set up the event, get as many people there, and don't even dare think about getting on the mic. Be well, there, yeah. cover it, yeah. you know, shoot it for your channel. A lot of people will watch, but you have no business speaking. What are your thoughts, Matthew? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that that's a, that's the, these points are all really valid, not just for this, this specific issue, but in a general context of, of organizing, about movement building, and about getting things done. Uh, if you are organizing an event and you are taking people into your event you, who you know have said things that are controversial, who you know that major elements of the base movements of this uh, of the larger yeah. anti-war movement are going to be opposed to. Well, you're 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 causing uh, predictably to occur what has occurred. This fragmentation. You're choosing to be provocative. You're choosing to call have these distractions. You're choosing to call these problems. Look, I mean, I I I've no problem speaking with people with I, I don't agree with. I've spoke at CPAC. You know, and the fact right. that they've had me speak there, you know, it's yeah. been 10 years or whatever. But, you know, I mean, like, it, it, you know, I have no problem doing that, you know, and I was accepted there. And, and you know, I mean, and, and as well to the, the uh, man I called my friend, the man I learned a lot for, from the late Walter Jones of North Carolina, who um, was a Republican. Uh, I'm not sure what we would agree on other than opposing the wars. But, you know, I'll, I'll go to my grave always admiring him. And, you know, he was an anti-war member of Congress, probably the most prominent anti-war member of Congress on the Republican side outside of Ron Paul, and certainly one of the most important in the overall Congress. John Boehner hated him, hated him. And, and but he was rep, he represented Camp Lejeune, the Marine Corps base in North Carolina. He represented that district. And he had thousands and thousands of Marines, veterans, their families, contractors in his district. He was clearly anti-war. They knew this. And they reelected him over and over again, including from primary challenges because they hated him so much, they primaried him two or three times. So, I mean, you, you can, I mean, in terms of, of, of how veterans understand and see these wars, I know I haven't seen, I don't think the polling has been done in the last year and a half or two years, but two years ago, the polls had veterans of the not post 9-11 wars had a greater, uh, 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 disagreed with the wars at a greater rate than the public did. Not by much, but both were about two thirds, but about two or three percentage points higher for military veterans against the wars than the general public did. You know, so but again, it comes back to if you're going to have these types of events, you're going to try to have this big tent. You have to be able to manage it. I mean, it's all great and good to have a big tent, but then be incompetent at it. If you show up at a big tent without the long poles to put the big tent up, what are you going to have? You're just going to mess on the ground. I mean, like I, one of the things so I worked, I mean, I've worked with Ann Coulter. I've worked with Grover Norquist, people who I just don't want anything to do with otherwise uh, who you can, on anti-war stuff. You can rub off on you, man. That well, shit well, can rub off on you. You can, also, you can also learn from them. I mean, I learned more from Grover Norquist 
than, I mean, it just in sense of how he understood things and how competent yeah. he was. Oh, you very- would go to these breakfasts <sighs> in D.C. that you would have. There'd be 300 people in there. And they'd all be talking about all kinds of stuff. And they all got in line and walked together. Right. He, they were able to get things done. But, you that, know, and, and, yeah. But that, Matt, is the rub and the difference between conservatives and liberals. <laughs> right. The right. conservatives actually succeed and actually have incentive to succeed. And if they don't succeed, Grover Norquist is a multimillionaire because right. he serves his cause extremely well, I believe, with the Cato Institute. If he wasn't doing his job well, he would not be making the money he's making. However, on the Democratic side, you could be a complete and utter buffoon and still make money and still be presented as somebody of value, which is just so, again, weird. You don't have to support the conservative cause. But when it comes to the Ann Coulters and the Grover Norquists Mm. of the world, Karl Rove. I think Karl Rove is one of the most despicable humans ever in politics. (laughs) Ever. But he delivers. <laughs> right. And, and that's where you have to be wise in how you make your choices and who you ally with. Will this person advance your cause and will it be effective to partner with these people or will it just be a shit show? Are you going to anger a ton of people who are your part of your constituency, people that you claim that you represent, your allies? Are you going to anger them and then achieve nothing? Or can you make the case to them that, look, by working with these people who want to do A, B, and C, we can, though, achieve D. And we're still going to yeah. fight them. I mean, but, but that's, that's what I don't see happening, though. I mean, no. there's a lot of, there's a lot of, say, oh, you got to work with, you know, but are these people worth working with? You know, and, and that's, you know, I, I think one of the aspects of competency that you don't see. But I also think we have a lot of people on the left, again, the egos, that just want the fight, that want the drama. I mean, I, I could tell you that, you know, I, I saw oh, yeah. in the Green Party people who were 100 percent invested in fighting each other. No effort made to fight the Democratic or Republican parties, though. No interest in that. Maybe they were afraid to do that. Maybe Just it's safer to fight, yeah. safer to fight the people in your own little party on your listservs right. or whatever nonsense they do than to actually fight the actual people that matter. You know, and that's what I wonder about with a lot of this. You know, I don't want to fight these YouTube personalities. I want to fight Boeing. I want to fight Lockheed. I want to fight Mike Rogers on the House Armed Services Committee. I want to fucking burn the Pentagon down. You know I mean? This is what I want to do. Fighting with these celebrities does nothing for me. It doesn't do anything for me. All it does is, is it gets me wrapped into this cycle of, you know, Twitter nonsense that, you know, gets us nowhere. But if that's your gig, if that's your grift, uh, you can keep doing that for quite a long time. Yeah. I, let, with that being said, though, thoughts on um, that there is actually going to be a rally for Julian Assange, as I'm sitting here and looking at him sitting behind you, in D.C. on International Press Freedom Day, which is May 3rd this year. And it's mm-hmm. a big thing that's being, I guess it's being done by the, the Assange defense, but right. there's stuff happening all around the world. And I'm actually going to go. Great. Um, I, yeah. will see, I will see you there. Are you, I was going to ask you, are you going to be yep. there? Because, I will, yeah, I will and, be there. Yeah. yeah, for things. Yeah. And I hear you with rallying and stuff, but I just feel like this, in, and I'm assuming they're doing it in front of the Justice Department. I mean, right. I don't, yep. yeah, because yeah. I don't think we can stand near the White House anymore. Well, <laughs> the, what, yeah, I don't know what, I haven't been up there into in the White House in a while. I don't know how many levels of fencing they have anymore. Right. You, you, and, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Last time I was in D.C. So it's the Justice Department, right? Months ago, yeah. You can't yeah. get 
I mean, you can now only see, you can only see the White House on Pennsylvania. I find that despicable. Everything else is blocked off. That's, That's you know, that was one of the things that was, would be so great. We need to have someone visit, you know, and show them that, that you were, you know, uh, and for that you had this, like right here, here's the White House. You could, you know, stand, you know, we've got a fence because, you know, we're human beings. And of course we need a fence. But it was just a yard fence. It wasn't like you could still walk up and see it. I mean, I took a, I took a field trip to the White House. I've been in there. I would do it all the time. Today, oh, that doesn't exist. No, anymore. but you ha- have you ever been in there? Have you ever? Yeah, been there? I was actually when I was in the Marine Corps, I was a White House liaison officer. Okay, so, so yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, I've yeah. done it, but they don't do that anymore. You can't just go there anymore. No, you or you can't get into Congress. That's my understanding. Is you can't get into Congress anymore. I mean, it's been a, a night. It's been really difficult to get in the Capitol building for forever. However, to get into the House office and the Senate office buildings, you just walked in. Yeah, you walk in with your dog. Maybe they used to encourage that. Bring your dog yeah. to go see your member of Congress. Not Maybe anymore. Now, no. Maybe it's a sign of the deterioration of our society. Well, they're scared of the proletariat as well. They should they be. Should. And that's really what it is. And I've said it, you know, Nancy, you're not going to be able to build a moat wide enough, sweetheart. It's just not going to happen for you. That's exactly right. I mean, of, of course, the pan, they utilize the pandemic up. Everyone's good. You know, I mean, we got it. Which there is some validity to that. But then when that was relaxed, they had yeah. January 6th and they've utilized January 6th as reason to keep people out of those offices uh, you know, the, the, the ability to have to, to walk into, you know, the House office or Senate office buildings and just walk into your senator or congressman's office. I mean, everything else we know how corrupted and how cynical we are about this and skeptical. I shouldn't say cynical. I should say skeptical because that's, the I think, the right way to say it. But the, the ability to do that meant something. It really meant something. The number of times when I was up there working on the Hill, it mattered because you would be able to talk to members of Congress. And yeah, you were, it's an uphill battle. You're banging your head against the wall. But at least you had that space to talk to them. And, and, you know, and, and now that's that, of course, is, is and I, don't, I can't imagine if Democrats can go back, you know. Well, but with no, the Assange I mean, there rally, was an illusion. You're saying there was an illusion of public service that they maintained. I don't I, I don't know about that. I mean, there, there was a degree of it. I mean, certainly we had uh, this is, a, I guess, a long conversation about the, the effectiveness of saying that the anti-war work, the anti-Afghanistan work we did in 2011, 2012 up there. And the members that we did get to sign on to letters and did get to show the White House, look, they're disobeying your your rules here. They're disobeying, you know, the, you know, Al Franken was a big one one time for us. Like we were able to persuade him to go against the White House. The White House didn't want to have that type of pressure on them. Was, the whole thing was very well orchestrated by the White House uh, in t- 2009 through 2013, their Afghanistan, uh, 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 how they conducted it. Thank but, you. you know, I mean, it, it really was, uh, uh, you know, that, that ability. And yeah, th- did we have any of the clout or the, 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 uh, that, that general dynamics had? Or that ADM has, or that Coca-Cola has, or that any of the corporations have? Of course not. It wasn't like I was Goldman Sachs coming in on my golden winged chariot, you know, throwing bricks of gold to these people. But we still had that ability and we still were able to have some effect. Take that away, then you have no effect. And, you know, I mean, so I don't know if it's right to argue that having a semblance of hope is better than no hope. But I mean, at least it's a semblance I get. But no, but the Sandra rally accessibility. accessibility is important yeah. when you're talking about public servants. 
Right. And it's a way that you can fight back. It's at least you're making yeah. them uncomfortable. At least you're showing that you're there, uh, you know, and, and, you know, like my friend Walter Jones, he was, he was very much on board with the Iraq war. He's the guy that if people remember this back in 03, when the French refused to join the invasion of Iraq, yeah. uh, Walter Jones was the guy that got the house cafeteria to rename French fries to freedom fries. He was all on board with the Iraq war. And then what was happening though was accessibility. And he had people, what really happened was he had people bring him to funerals. He was going to the funerals of the Marines and sailors from Camp Lejeune who were getting killed over in that horror show and that, that, that fucking crime. And that's what changed him. So you have that type of accessibility. You have maybe the ability to impact people. It's not going to be all 535, but maybe a few. And then you do other things around the edges. You do things asymmetrically. You find a crack. You, yeah. insert, you know, you spread it open. I mean, that's how we have to keep fighting this. But uh, yeah, but with the Assange rally, yeah, May 3rd, uh, we had one in October uh, that was well attended. A lot of great speakers. Uh, you know, and I expect the same for this. And, um, you know, what's happening with, Acron with Assange, of course, is, is you know, a crime uh, simply for exposing crimes. Where, where are you? So you're having something, do you have movements and stuff from your organization here? Like, are you guys like a, all over the place? Do you have like a group down where we are? No, no, we're, we're, we're pretty small. Again, we're more like a speakers bureau, a national speakers bureau, bringing, uh, you know, the idea being that, uh, you know, one of the things that you understand about, the weapons industry, like any other industry, they have a whole host of people on their payroll that every day their job is to get up, get clean, look good, and get prepared to go on television. Excuse me. And what they have is a whole team behind them that pitches them. Yeah. So every day there are professionals who are sending the CBS News to CNN, to the Wall Street Journal, whatever. Hey, I've got retired Major General so-and-so who can come on and talk about Chinese balloons. You know, he was the first guy to pile a balloon over the Himalayas or something like that. <laughs> right, you know what I mean? Right. Like, right, you know, they're able to, right, how would you like to have a guy come on today who was a SEAL in Iraq and Afghanistan to talk about the Ukraine war, right? right. You know, all that stuff, that pitching, that's so important to actually getting access to media. And so that's what we're attempting to do uh, on the, uh, the, the anti-war side. Well, oh, I, all the have, power to you because you'll, yeah, you'll, that is not an easy message that they're wanting to accept. And we know that people get fired for that message. You'll always have an <laughs> right. invitation here, my friend. This is Thank you. Uh, you know, small but mighty. We're, we're small but mighty. mighty. Remind yeah. me where you are in North Carolina. I'm in Wake Forest, North Carolina. So but not how where, far is that from Raleigh? Right next door to Raleigh. Okay. Right next door to Raleigh. Right, yeah, yeah. No, I don't know. I've never been east of Charlotte, but this summer I'm going to do a road trip out to the Outer Banks from Asheville oh. afterwards, and I'm going to go through Raleigh and that area. Yeah, you have so, to. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I was asking. But um, I have to make yeah. few, like food suggestions and stops. And yeah. So no, forth. I'll come and take you off for a drink or something. We'll go. Definitely. We'll have an opportunity to meet up in D.C. Yeah, right? we can definitely meet up in right. D.C. Yeah. But, but the Outer Banks, you love it. It's, it's uh, They are a true treasure. Uh and uh, they're doing a somewhat okay job with keeping commercialization and uh, development to a minimum. And that's all relative to the rest of this country. You know, it's, it's, a, it's beautiful, particularly, say, compared yeah. to South Carolina. You Come know. to Florida. Come to Florida. <laughs> no, save yourself, You Matthew. can't stop speaking. They can't, they can't stop building. Is, yeah. I mean, it's, and it really doesn't matter who's in charge. They say it's the GOP, but the reality is – the most blue counties in Florida are the ones that just will not stop building. 
Well, we're, in North Carolina, when I was yeah. campaigning last year, the place that I heard the most about in terms of development and the creation of one more luxury hotel after another, uh, you know, and how we're just murdering, letting people die homeless on the street was Asheville over and over again. Asheville, which well, is right. I mean, like deep blue Asheville, supposedly is hippie paradise, but it's not. It's all these wealthy liberal folks with their second homes, you know, mm-hmm. but the same thing here, too. In, in deep blue Wake County, uh, we have uh, we had 75 homeless folks die on our streets last year. But don't worry. Thoughts and prayers, and uh, put a nice <laughs> sign in your yard, and that'll right. make everything better. Yeah, well, here, here, here they here, just here. bulldoze the encampments here. Yeah. Here they I mean, just they come and bulldoze them. We're we're giving it. We're giving a billion dollars to Apple, right? The only country wealthy, the only company wealth with more wealth than Apple is the Saudi King's oil company, right? We're giving them a billion dollars. We're giving Toyota three billion or four billion dollars to build a bat. I mean, it's the most profitable, you know, biggest core company in the world. We've got, honest to God, we're giving a half billion dollars to a plane company to build the next next version of the Concorde, which went out of business. So we're going to build another one. They haven't even built the thing yet. There's no actual mock-up. It's all on blueprints. But we're giving a half billion dollars, you know? Well, and so meanwhile, obviously. 75 people are dying on the streets every year this in Wayne County. This is exactly why we need to build a, la- a real labor movement. Well, this is capitalism run amok. Yeah. And Matthew understands is, that very clearly because it is. This is yeah. unfettered, unbridled, is predatory capitalism. It's a broken system, and we have to do what we can uh, to do what is necessary to build this multi-unilateral coalition of a lot of like-minded people who understand that all of these wedge issues and things that we find ourselves getting distracted by all the time. Yeah, there are things that are relevant without question, but unless we deal with the core issue of our time, which is corporate special interests controlling our government, it doesn't matter what else we do. It's a waste of time. So yeah, I'm getting lefter and lefter, Matthew. I think I'm going to fall off the side at some point. I'm waiting for that to happen. Like I didn't think, you know, I don't, I think that this doing the show, like I'm telling you, I keep getting lefter and lefter. I don't think it's a question of being left. I think it's just a question of being a pro worker, yeah. um, you know, anti-corruption. And that is. Well, that, yeah, but I'm, I'm, I'm want. getting lefter on everything. Well, that, do, that's on. my issue. That's why I always say the opinions of Peter do not always reflect that of me. Whatever. But well, I, I mean, I, I think you guys are, a lot of us are like this. We don't like have using this left, right axis to define, but no. we do because it's easy. It's because what our culture does and it's because how we're semantically trained and everything else. But you know, right. I mean, exactly. The, the uh, we have to really do is get people to understand that we're all in this together. Yes. I mean, the people we talk to, right, that that are not getting health care or forgoing health care or three months behind their health care payments, they think they're the only ones like that. And they think it's because they've done something wrong. We're told you know, that. We're, exactly. Yeah. Right. I mean, all these folks who are living paycheck to paycheck, 63 percent of Americans, almost all of them, almost all of them think that it's because they did something wrong. They didn't go to the right school. They didn't study hard enough. They didn't work hard enough. They're not smart enough. They're the only ones like this. I should be embarrassed about this. Uh, rather than uh, appreciating the fact that mo- almost most Americans are just like you. And it's the system that has caused this, not your lack of individual effort. 
Totally. Matt, Matt, can't thank you enough. And if you ever did run for president, I'm just saying, <laughs> Peter and I would be very happy to work with you on that. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate that very much. Let him live his life. I'm sure running for Senate <laughs> definitely takes a hell of a lot out of you. I just thought it was funny that he's like, nah, that he was like telling you that. But Keep in touch and we will definitely I'll see, see you, you in, in D.C. DC. Absolutely, guys. Thank you so much. Have a good night. And thanks Bye. everyone for watching. Anytime. Oh, he's lovely. He's adorable. I love him. He's certainly one of your favorites. He is one of my favorites. Because how could you not like him? I understand how anybody couldn't like him. Definitely walks the walk. Oh, he's just great. But again, that's the whole, I said, but again. And he's right about that stuff. And the way he said it, he doesn't have the, the, he could not give a flying fuck about all of that online nonsense. And he just does not, anybody who's a serious person is not going to get involved in that crap. Because that's not serious. He's serious. He actually is coming up with strategies to do things. It's fascinating. And I think that that is really smart. You go through the state legislatures and you take their national guards off of the table so that that is no longer a viable option. You know, you, you do what you can where you can. That's strategy. Fighting with a whole bunch of other content creators about who should have the bigger name on the bigger banner at a freaking protest is not it. Let me tell you, I wouldn't mind actually being at that anti-war rally just to see what an absolute crap show it's going to turn into. I didn't into realize that they the split. That like, I didn't oh, realize yeah, there course. was a whole thing. I'm not well, surprised. Apparently, there's this guy that's also speaking there that apparently was involved with, uh, might have been involved in some type of, um, I don't know what the hell you would Oh, so he doesn't it's, pass enough of like some sort of like purity test for no, some no, no, people. No, no, I'm so. talking about like, uh, like he went to prison and it was for... Uh, underage sex solicitation or something like that. Yeah, I'm not kidding. Um, so that's the type of stuff that's going Just on. Just people, when you're planning an event, you know, you've got to think about stuff like that just because, unfortunately, that those things do come into play. I mean, that's just reality. That being said, um, I do think that the Assange thing looks somewhat promising. Yeah, all right. Well, then I guess I'll book. I mean, if you're going to – I didn't I'll know you were going, but I, I have, like – I'm going to be there for two nights and it's like May – I'm going to be there May 2nd and 3rd. And, um, all right. Well, and well, I'll, well, I mean, I'll I'm not saying you, you need to go, no, but, but I think it's a trip worth having. It'll give us an opportunity to perhaps do some stuff in DC. So yeah. All right. I, I mean, it's Assange. I support him hundred percent. And if you like our content and like our guests as our wonderful supporters, like double K Carrie, Mario, and so on, go to patreon.com forward slash generational change for as little as $5 a month. You could become a wonderful supporter of our channel. Those who decide to give a little bit more, like $10 a month, will get themselves the Mansion Parliamentarian bumper sticker. Because, guys, you always want to vote for the real power in the party. It is now featured on Status Quo News. Jordan Sheraton has it over his United Corporations of America flag. That's really funny. You'll definitely want to put that bad boy on your car. It'll definitely get a kick uh, from most people, I am sure. But for those who are extremely generous and are willing to be $25 a month patrons, they get the wonderful Generational Change baseball jersey. It's a jersey. Triple blend. Tri-blend. I say triple blend. I know. Yeah, you're just, you, you, you just love to be great. annoying as hell about it. I am a salesman. It so. doesn't, it's not selling anything. It is selling. I don't, I don't think I'll so. keep trying until eventually someone gives it. But yes, we really appreciate your support. And anybody who's new that is a new patron, guys, if you're on there, check out. I have a poll up. I'm trying to figure out if new people would be interested in going back to having a monthly members monthly members meeting. Monthly members meeting. Um, and I'd be happy to do that. 
uh, also take ideas. And something else that I think we're going to start doing is I think we should start having like regular people, local people come on and file their grievances. Like, for example, I did. And he would like to come on. And I think that we should start a thing where we get regular people coming on and giving their observations as constituents as to what they're receiving. What do you guys think? You like that idea? And also... Um, I, as I said last time, guys, I'm looking for a group of Gen Zers, Gen Zers that would like to participate in a show on this channel that's going to be called the Gen Z Report. Um, the format is to be determined. At this point, I'm kind of liking the idea of starting it with me sort of moderating and having like a few different people. And then as it goes, letting those few people sort of just take over and do their own kind of show. And it, it would be sort of like a, a the view where it's just it can you're just discussing different things as a format. The view, <laughs> the view. But you're in different places. But anyways, guys, if anybody in out general, there, if you're in Gen Z and you're interested in participating on our channel and and speaking and doing you know having a show, send us your information. Write us an email, generationalchange at gmail.com. And tell us you're interested, because I really would like to get a group of young people together that are interested in, even if it's rotating. So it wouldn't necessarily be a big time commitment. So if we did it once a week and we had enough people, we would rotate different groups of people through and just have your guys' opinion on stuff and let you guys lead the conversation. And if you are so inclined, you can go to Cash App, dollar sign, Gen Change, if you do not want to put your credit card on file. And here is our email address. You can go. Yeah. To so Gen Zers, look me up. I'd like to I'd like to have a show with you. I'd like to have you come on and, and be talking about Gen Z issues. The good view. Yes, the good view. And we were originally going to have Jaden do that. However, Jaden is now leaving us. He also has moved on to bigger and brighter pastures as he is now the head of the Democratic college, the college Dems, Florida college College Dems Dems caucus. And he's also going to be moving to Tallahassee. So that's not right. So guys, if you are interested, let me know. What do we have coming up? On Wednesday, we are going to be doing a crossover podcast with Mr. Libertarian of Miami himself, Clint Russell of Libertarian Lockdown or Liberty Lockdown. I don't know that podcast. Yeah, no, it's, he mostly does it on Twitter, but it'll be interesting to have him on here. He is a friend of David Smith. So for those people out there who want us to get Dave Smith on the I don't know who that is. Dave Smith is probably the most noted uh, libertarian that's out there. But when you're Um, saying libertarian, do you mean Big L the party or libertarian in that just they have like a libertarian sort of philosophy or are they actual party, libertarian party people? Yeah. That's what I'm wondering. I'm asking you this. Because there's a difference. We love you, Double K. Absolutely. Well, we would definitely say that the best donations, not that the Super Chats aren't appreciated, but if you want to get the most bang for your buck, Patreon and Cash App are the two best places to go. Yeah. So keep that in mind if you are considering a financial contribution to our show. And I would like Um, to also say, guys, if you haven't watched Jordan's um, coverage, Jordan Sheraton on status quo's coverage of the spill in East Palestine and his interview that he did with that guy who's like, he's just outside the mile radius that was evacuated and he owns like an animal rescue type farm no. and all his foxes are dying no. and have neurological damage and he's having all this, like, no, seriously, this is friggin' horrible. And um, I just want to say that... Um, it's not Pete Buttigieg's fault though, you know. I would just like to say that we made a donation to his GoFundMe. Okay. Because I'm not going to abide dead foxes. No, so no. I'm just, and, and it, it's not just dead foxes. It's sort of what that stands for. But this guy, you know, and I'm sure there's, there's thousands of people just like him in that area that are going to be struggling. When you can't just move, 
You have animals, you have rural people that have, you can't just move. What do you do if you have farm animal? No, I've got a better job, you know. I just, it's very, like you can can evacuate. Okay, you can evacuate for a couple of days, but your animals are all going to die. I'm just, and and the 25,000 from the railroad carrier just should be, somebody, honestly, I would rather take that money and set it on fire in the lobby of their building. Seriously. $5 $5 per person is what that comes out to. Hey. I'm, I'm, it's, I'm livid. <laughs> like, that's just crazy. We appreciate you guys more than you know. Your support is obviously very much appreciated. Make sure to like, subscribe, share, do all those wonderful things. Obviously, we will be back on Wednesday. I will. We're going to be talking with the libertarians. Yes, I will most likely be on status quo uh, either tomorrow or Wednesday. Uh, so be on the lookout for that. Are you going to be you or are you going to be someone well, we'll else? Well, I might be somebody. I don't know. Sometimes Peter is other people. It's sort of like multiple personalities. Depending on how I feel, right? Uh, uh, well, Ben Shapiro now lives down here in Florida. <laughs> and does he really? Yes, he does. Is he in Palm Beach? No, I'm not telling you where I am. Wait, I do am, you don't know where he is? I definitely know where he is. He is not here, but he's close by. Uh, are you, I, he's got to be in Palm Beach. I can assure you that I am doing really well down here. Florida is not going underwater. It is a wonderful state and I am very, very happy. Did you know that? We should go find out where our studio is and invade, take over, make it our show. His audience will be our audience and that'll be that. I find him to be just so insufferable. Mm. I find him insufferable. I would like to like bring someone like Chris Hitchens back from the dead and lock him in a room with Ben Shapiro for like 10 minutes and just see what that does to Ben. That'll never happen. So never make such a suggestion like that again. He's just such an idiot. I should really, really consider doing a podcast as Ben Shapiro and just saying all the ridiculous things that he says in the reverse, talking about the importance of labor (laughs) unions and why they matter and why you must support one. But if you have any consideration for working people we in this country. We need to make a mask of him, though, like we have of Trump. We yeah. need to make a mask of Ben Shapiro. For that him. makes absolutely no sense. I can absolutely be Ben Shapiro, and that'll definitely convince people that they are listening to the real thing. He just thinks so, if he talks fast, he sounds smart. I am totally talking over you because you can't stop me. I am running away like a runaway freight train <laughs> that's about to run off the tracks. Well, we're used, to, we're, we're used to derailments now. Yeah. Well. Okay, so the, the poeticness of the fact that this – and by the way, these types of things – happen more often than people realize, way more than people realize. It's just that it may happen where there's no people. It may happen where it's just, you know, really poor people and nobody else notices or cares, but these things happen. And it has a lot to do with the the crumbling infrastructure that we have. Wow, that's a great idea. Uh, Let's have a mask of me. I come on the show and I talk all the time about how you got to pump yourself up. And then after that, you have to take care of the environment. (laughs) It's very important. Get to the, I don't want to say get to the chopper because that's just common, but I have to say that you have to get to the garden. Get to the garden and plant things and do things. It's really great. So. Yeah. It's it's okay. You know, for the people that listen to the podcast, like the people that are audio only, Mm. it's infinitely better. Like I think to, well, yeah, no, I think that it's infinitely better when you're audio only because then it's just, you know, you, yeah. I'm right here. Like when you did it, when we were on the phone that time, it was really kind of freaky. Well, when I would do. Uh, it was, I don't remember who it was, but when, when I'm not sitting next to you and I'm not looking at you, it's just, it's kind of crazy. Well, when we were on the campaign and I would call and tell people that I really appreciate what they're doing for the family and 
and we get a kick out of that. So are you telling me that on President's Day we're having workers strike back? And are you telling me that Shama Sawan's coming? No. That's actually got to change. We got to change the schedule. Because I was going to get all excited right there. Well, I think what we should do on President's Day, uh, I want to try to organize bringing on um, the Canadelic people. I want to bring on like a a panel. I don't, okay, that's great. And I love that. But is there any sort of connection because it's President's Day? Like I'm sitting here like, is there a connection between the weed people and and President's Day? I would love to have Shama come on the podcast, but unfortunately she is of non-commitment at this time. So we'll keep working and make it happen. I'm a big fan. I've been a big fan of your work for a long time. And I'd love to talk to you. That would be good. Anyway, thank you so much, guys. We really appreciate it. And we'll see you Wednesday. Thanks for watching. If you want to support our mission to transform politics into service, please like this video, subscribe, follow us on social media, and consider joining our Patreon, where you'll get early access to our interviews, as well as other exclusive content. Links are in the description. Peace out.